My name is Jim McLaughlin. I'm an elder here. And you see, on the screen it says member affirmation. We're about to do that. We're about to do that. But before we do that, we're going to have prayer time. You open your bulletin, you'll find this thing that just fell on the floor up here. Elder and deacon nomination form. Uh, you can do that today or you can take it home with you and pray about it and bring it back next week. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be taking nominations for those two positions. And you see in your bulletin the uh, standards. And as the uh, prayer focus says, no one can meet these standards perfectly. Uh, I keep telling Brad that. He has not picked up on it yet. <clears throat> these are the dominant patterns expected in the lives of those who will serve in these positions. So pray carefully about who, whom you would uh, think meets these qualifications as best as humanly possible, and uh, we'll do that process. If you also look in your bulletin, you'll see some other prayer requests, and we want to keep those before you during the week. So take this bulletin home with you and pray about these matters throughout the week. Let's go to prayer. Father God, we are always awed by how great you are. And we are able to sing about that greatness because you are our God. And you are our God because you have chosen us to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, your possession. When we understand all that, we are amazed, we are stunned that you would choose us sinful human beings to be your possession to be your nation you've taken us out of the darkness and you have brought us into the amazing bright light of your son Jesus through his blood you see us as perfectly righteous and we thank you and praise you for choosing us to be your people and Father, as your people in this place called Grace Community Church, we pray that what we do here will be pleasing to you, that it will glorify you, and that it will enable your kingdom to grow, and that those who have yet been called, have yet to be called, will hear the gospel, whether it be here in a service or through the missionaries that we support or through anyone else you have chosen in this world to take the message. We pray for new, new members of your kingdom. And this week, Lord, we pray that you will guide and direct the selection of new elders and new deacons in this church, that these would be men that would be qualified to serve in your kingdom, just as you would have them serve. And we're excited about what you're going to do there. We know that you have someone or someone's in mind, and we anxiously await to hear from you regarding this matter. Lord, we also pray for David as his eyes heal. We pray that uh, this healing will be perfect and his vision will be perfect. We continue to pray for Callie and her family. We lift them up to you. And ask that you wrap your arms around them and protect her 
and do as you will to glorify yourself through that family as you already have many, many times. And we pray for Lisa as she continues to struggle with her situation. Lord, we just pray that she will continue to make progress and that you will bring her back to full health soon. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, we do have a family, the Powell family. Where are the Powells this morning? Here they are. Step right up. Come on down. This is Ethan and Sarah Powell, and they're going to join the church this morning. We've got some serious questions to ask them. We'll see how they respond. See if they pass this test. Do you believe and confess that you are a sinful person by nature and by choice, unqualified to be acceptable to your holy creator, and that you have no hope of salvation apart from his grace and mercy? Do you believe and confess that Jesus Christ is God, the Son, and that he is the, holy, the only Savior of sinners? Have you received God's free offer of mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life? And are you trusting in Christ alone? For your salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel. Do you promise in humble dependence upon the word of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and enables you. That you will determine to live each day as God's obedient child and faithful witness. So that your life brings honor to your God and Savior. Do you promise to be submissive to and supportive of the leadership of Grace Community Church. As they lead this congregation according to the scriptures and the bylaws and constitution of this church. Do you promise to encourage the witness of Grace Community Church in her worship and work by living at peace with other Christians, guarding the purity of her doctrine and supporting her ministry with your personal involvement and financial gifts? You passed. <laughs> Welcome, Ethan and Sarah Powell. Thank you. don't know Ethan and Sarah see them at the church today welcome to the church now we have our offering time let's go to prayer again father we come now to give back to you a small portion of all that you have given to us we ask and pray that you would take these offerings and these tithes and that you would use them for your your kingdom for your glory for your purposes we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, although a more appropriate title this morning would be Introducing Elder. I'm doing the introduction to the message, and then Chris Pope, whom I will introduce in a moment, will be sharing most of it. Thank you so much for coming. If you guys were really enjoying the greeting and welcoming time this morning. I know for some of you, you really look forward to that, and some of you hate that, don't you? I mean, I just know how, I know how it is, and I, I am so sorry for you. What we're doing is really important. And I just want to encourage anybody who is anywhere close to extrovert to make sure you're constantly seeking out new people to grace. Maybe they've been coming for six months, but if you haven't met them, they're new to you. So please be in touch. 
Um, I want to mention uh, one more time, Marriage Matters will be beginning September 16th on a, on a Wednesday night. It's only going to meet once a month. This is for anyone who is married. Strong marriages, weak marriages, in trouble marriages, doesn't matter what age. You've got three, you, you've got maybe like Jack Lucas, Jack and Suzanne Lucas, 14 great-grandchildren. Can you believe that? Or, like Ethan and Sarah, you've just been married for about a month. So it doesn't matter. In fact, let's mix it up. Most of our home groups, most of them are age-specific or demographically structured. You just do that. We don't do it. You just end up getting that way. But let's cross generations. But it's really important if you haven't signed up to do so this morning. Um, because we need to start setting up the homes where they're going to be meeting all over our area from Fuquay to Dunn, if necessary. Wherever we need groups, we're going to uh, establish groups. Child care, again, only once a month. It's really as much sharing with one another as it is learning from this book, which is an excellent book, by the way. Anybody know Malcolm Gladwell? You know that name? I know a lot of you... Well, maybe a lot of you don't know Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> you know a lot of things that he's talked about, though, over the years. In his book, The Tipping Point, he emphasizes the roles of mavens uh, in both promoting and enhancing trends in our country. Uh, uh, everybody knows a maven. You don't, may not know what it is just yet, but you know a maven. A maven is a gatherer of information. Uh, this is the person who... Everybody goes to to find out where the best restaurants are, what the best movies are. You know how that is. You, you want to go to a restaurant with your spouse or with a friend. You want to take a friend. And you say, I wonder where I could go a nice restaurant that is affordable. And then you know who to go and ask. You know those people that enjoy experiencing life and then they enjoy sharing other people uh, with other people about the things that they have, um, ha- have come to understand and know. If a maven has a great experience, it's just a matter of time before everybody around this person knows about the great experience. Um, it, it could be nutrition, what he knows about nutrition or cars or political races. Doesn't matter Mavens like to dispense information. And the thing about mavens is they don't simply give out information for the sake of imparting knowledge. There's this deep-seated desire to make the lives of other people better. I really enjoyed this. I know you will as well. Or, hey, you you mentioned that. Let me tell you about something I heard about or I, I found out about. It's not that they have a choice. Maybe some of those people drive you nuts, but they don't have a choice. They, they are compelled to give that information. There's a sense in which all believers ought to be mavens. Look, we, we have the best news that anybody could possibly ever want to hear. We know Jesus, the good news of the gospel. Now, sharing the gospel is, is no doubt easier for some than for others. And, and you know people that share the gospel with anything that moves. And probably those people have maven-like tendencies in other areas of their lives as well. But it doesn't matter whether we are excited about it or it's difficult for us. We are all not only commanded, but we're given the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
for those of you who are introverts and it's difficult, think about it this way. You don't, I used to think this is what it means to share the gospel. You have to get it all in. In fact, you've heard people pray it. Lord, we thank you that the word tells us that we're sinners and that because of our sin, we're, we're all headed for judgment. But you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. And you feel like you have to tell the whole story. Look, nobody gets it the first time. Nobody. It takes dozens of times some, for some people to understand the gospel. And you're not responsible for giving it all out and, and them hearing and making a decision every single time. Just little pieces of the gospel. Now, whenever you get a chance to share a, a, a good bit more, do so. So we are commanded to share the gospel, not only around us, but take it to the ends of the world. And look, how are, Scripture tells us, if they don't hear, they don't get to believe. They don't know what to believe. And if, if they don't hear, they, they're lost in their sins apart from Christ. And how can people go to tell unless they are sent? One of the core founding principles of Grace Community Church and, and, and something that it's, continues to be near to our hearts is global missions. Our recently reconstituted mission team, along with the elders, has done a wonderful job of being in touch with our missionaries and also bringing to you every month we hear a report about our different missionaries and how they're doing. We're going to be increasing that connection between the congregation as a whole and the individual missionaries. Policies have been developed. Lots of effective service and outreach are possible because of what the mission team is doing. Chris Pope, one of our elders, heads up the mission team, and he's going to be speaking for most of the time if I will get through this, which I will very quickly. Uh, before I read Romans 10, 8 to 15, I wanted to mention something that we're doing new that's at Grace. It's an opportunity for some of you. Uh, we, if you saw, as you saw this morning, that, that must have been difficult for Ethan and Sarah being the only two up here, you know, and it's always um, difficult looking at this particular group, but I'm just kidding. You're really the best looking church anywhere close by. But they were up here by themselves. But we take membership very seriously. Did you hear those questions? Those were very pointed, very specific questions. And I recognize if you're a student here at Campbell for a period of time, or maybe you're just here uh, like our brother Rod is for a short period of time, uh, several months. You might not want to become a member because you don't want to give up your membership elsewhere. But, but we're offering now for you to be an associate member and understand the connections that you have back home, especially if you're a student. Um, so an associate member is exactly like a member. It's just that you, you don't have to cut all the ties back where you were at home. You go through the Grace Connection class, which begins in two weeks, and, and, the, and then talk with a couple of elders about your testimony. We want to know that you're trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. And the connection between missions and this associate membership is this. If you hope someday to go on like a short-term mission and you want to apply uh, for mission funds, it's going to be important that you be an associate member. We're making that uh, connection now, look, in our times, legally, 
Uh, there's a lot of talk amongst church leadership in the country. It's very important that those who are serving in your, in your body need to be members. There's a strong connection, membership and service or representing the church in any way. So, two weeks Grace Connection class is going to begin September 13. It's a four-week class, and if you're brand new to Grace and you'd like to learn about what is this, you know, I hear this is an elder rule church. What does that mean? I've never heard of that before. Or what do you believe? What do you guys believe? How does it, how do I find a place to serve here at the church? All of that will be covered in the four weeks beginning September 13. Nine o'clock, we'll meet here at Grace. Uh, So, just want to encourage you to consider connecting more closely. Why do we go to the ends of the earth? Why do we go? Why do we send? In obedience, yes, but because we want people to hear the good news that God has proclaimed to us. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 15. And it's our custom to stand for the reading of the word. So if you would, please stand. Obviously, we pick it up in the middle of Paul's argument to his readers and his challenge to them. But what does it say? What does Scripture say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? In whom they have not believed. And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how were they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we are so grateful that beautiful feet brought the message of salvation to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ who died in our place, bore the wrath of God upon Himself. And as our brother Chris Pope this morning shares with us about the challenge that you have laid out to share the gospel, May our hearts be open, encouraged, excited. And may we be responsive, Lord, and thus changed by the Spirit of God. We thank you for your Son, Jesus, who died in our place and in whose name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated.
This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever, I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. So, where are you being swept off to? Or are you keeping your feet? Again, my name's Chris Pope. I'm an elder here at Grace Community Church. And for those of you that don't know, I also work at Campbell University in the athletics department. I'm your friendly neighborhood compliance guy. What that means is that I'm in charge of most of the paperwork the athletics department either has to process to the NCAA or to conference offices, here and there and yon. It keeps me busy, but I enjoy it. And regularly, I'm called upon to speak to student athletes and speak to coaching staffs and speak to various groups about what they can and cannot do with regard to NCAA rules and regulations or conference rules and regulations. And so my primary method of delivering information is just that, giving a list of do's and don'ts. And so I've decided today, just to make it easy on me, I'm going to do the same thing for you today. I'm just going to tell you what you can and what you can't do. (laughs) Um, In all seriousness, I'm entirely unqualified to preach at or to preach to any of you. And even as early as today, but ever since it became known in my family, it was like, they trust you to do this? (laughs) So... I'm going to enjoy it for today and see how things go for the future. Instead, I'm going to preach today to primarily myself, and I encourage you all to watch and listen carefully and keep the heckling to a minimum. I know where you are. This isn't a ball game, you know. Now, if you weren't aware prior to today, Brad mentioned it a little bit, and I'll mention it some more specifically with regard to what we do at Grace Community Church. We have a formal missions team. And we meet regularly, and we have some areas that we focus on predominantly, be it domestic missions here where we work with families like the Cross family who go to do a church plant. We also work in the area of adoptions. If people within our membership want to adopt in their family, we support that with funding and also with prayer. And we have short-term missions where we will have people in let's say the DO program or students that want to work at TVR will come to us and say, we want to work in that area, and we support that. And with funding as we can, we do as well. And also with continued world missions. We have, as you come in and out of the church in the foyer, you'll notice a lot of pictures from people like in Italy, the Hunsickers, the Staffords down in Colombia, the Flythes, the Lytles, the Becks. And, and on and on it goes. So we are very involved as a church, and in manner of speaking, we are on mission. And when you think about mission, I think about kind of employment. I think about work. And this might not make sense to you, but as you think about it, and I encourage you to, to ponder it later on today when you're thinking as I'm talking, what? It kind of makes me think a little bit about a show I like to watch, and I'm not endorsing it by any means, and I have not seen every episode, but I have enjoyed the episodes I have seen of Undercover Boss. And if you know anything about the show, it kind of plays out this way. You have a boss of a company that wants to see how his or her employees are working. And so they go incognito. They usually have a disguise of some sort, and they'll visit with their employees on the front lines to see how they do their business. And usually we're always presented with four or five employees that either absolutely love their job and work well at their tasks, they take their responsibilities seriously, and they're good representatives of themselves and also of their employer. 
but you'll also see employees that don't really care about the job at all. They don't care about what they're doing. They're not really crazy about the employment or about the product. They may really not care much at all for what they're doing. And at the end, we see the boss. He brings in, brings in each individual, has them sit down, and he has a one-on-one meeting with them where he discloses who he is or who she is, as the case may be, and they get, you get to see their look of either surprise and joy or sheer terror that you're my boss. And the boss rewards those that worked well, the ones that represent the company well. They usually get some sort of either monetary reward or vacation or a raise or a title increase. And the bad employees are thinking, okay, this is the opportunity. This boss is going to lower the boom. They're going to stick it to them. You didn't do a good job, and so you're going to get fired. And almost always on the show, the boss is benevolent. The boss usually will assign them to an area where they feel like it's more in their quote-unquote wheelhouse. They may move them to something that they feel like they can do or put them in training so that they can become a better employee. And in a sense, that's how God sees us in the work he's given us to do, although he's not necessarily incognito. And even though we'd like to see someone lower the boom, I think that speaks more to our desire for justice in this world than our need for grace from God. I'm sure you never experienced that. I know I do. Let's head to Luke 20. In Luke 20, we find in verses 9 through 18, Jesus And he's speaking predominantly to the Pharisees, but he's speaking to the people as well. And he quotes Psalm 118. He gives us a quick peek at how God handles bad workers. It's the parable of the wicked tenants. Again, that's Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. It's on the screen. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, Let's kill him. This is the heir. Excuse me. So that then, let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, this is the Pharisees, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This parable kind of scares me a little bit, although it shouldn't. God has equipped us well to do his work here on earth, and he's merciful and kind when we fail him. When we look back at Romans 10, specifically verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Is this verse for all believers? Well, yes, all scripture is for all believers, but not all are called to be sent. Not all are chosen for that purpose by God. Now, verse 14, if you back up even further, is for all believers, and that we are all required and equipped to make him known. 
when we bounce over to Matthew 28, we see in the Great Commission a picture that helps us understand this a little better. Now, Jesus has already instructed his disciples. In verse 16, we find, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had, already, or had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you're looking at this and you head specifically to verse 19, let's go in verse 19 and find the verb. Go ahead. I'm sure you know what it is. Go on. You can say it out loud. Go. Correct. Some of you are thinking make is a verb too, but... Anyway, goes where we're going to focus. Um, you don't have to be an English major to point that out, although I do know one here in the audience today. Jesus is simply telling his disciples they have work to do. He's been equipping them, and God is equipping them for the responsibility they've been given. And since the disciples have been, as we are, regularly and pretty continually oblivious to everything Jesus had told them and instructed them up to this point. I picture them standing there listening to him say, go and make disciples, and thinking, um, looking at each other, looking back at Jesus, you mean, you, mean like, um, you, you mean like now? And Jesus, yes, I mean like now. Go and make disciples. In verse 19, a better paraphrasing for us would actually be, as you are going. We are commanded to go and tell. That doesn't mean to set off on a worldwide tour. Not everyone's called to do that. Nonetheless, we have been commissioned with duties as assigned, and we need to self-evaluate. Are we committed to doing as God has equipped? Now, I won't do this anymore beyond this one point, but I would like to take us back to the Lord of the Rings again. In this scene that I'm going to lay out for you, we have Aragorn, who's a man, and Gimli, who's a dwarf. He's about this tall and they're ready to join in battle. Gimli is addressing or about to address his shortcomings. And when I say that, I mean that in, in, in a sense in a pun. He's a short man. He's a dwarf. And the exchange kind of goes like this. Toss me. What? I cannot jump the distance. You have to toss me. <laughs> He's committed to joining the battle. But you see... There's a chasm between where they are and where the battle will take place. Being a dwarf, he can't make the leap. He's committed to the battle. He's equipped for the battle. He's all for the battle. He wants to get in there. He's excited for it. He's eager for it. But he's not able to join it, not without help. And we're kind of like that. God is planting within us a desire and an equipping to do what God has equipped you specifically to do. You and only you. And not everybody is equipped to go to deepest, darp- deep, excuse me, deepest darkest Africa. Like him, like Gimli, we need it in order to commit and know what God has in store for us, we need to get to the point where we are first convicted. So when we have been convicted of sin... Only then will we recognize our need for God's mercy and forgiveness. It's really impossible to commit to go and tell others what God is doing in your life 
until you've been convicted and understand what, what he's working in your life in terms of things that are going on. Jesus spoke well when he said, how can you remove the speck from your brother's eye if you haven't recognized you have a plank in your own? And again, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus was using sarcasm, but he was making a great point. We are eager to recognize the shortcomings of others, and we're also equally, if not more eager, to not recognize our own. It's a hard thing to do. And I say that talking to me. It's a very hard thing to do. It's the very reason why it's so easy for people to go to church on a Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, not necessarily in grace, but to listen to sound preaching week after week after week. And then after the sermon's over, go up to the pastor and say, Pastor, that was a fantastic sermon. I really appreciate what you had to say. I feel like there were a lot in our body that needed to hear that. And so I appreciate you, you delivering that message. And then off they go on their merry way. And at lunch or sometime during the week, they'll be talking with a colleague or a friend or someone that knows something about the church. They're like, you know what? I'll tell you, that, that message really didn't speak to me. When the sad fact is all sermons preached point us to sin. They point us to our own sin if we are truly thinking about how we commit and if we are convicted. How can we share in God's work and what he's doing in our lives without first allowing him to work within us? And how can he work within us if we don't have an awareness of our need for him in our lives? Alistair Begg is pastor in Cleveland, Ohio. And if you've ever heard him, you know who I'm talking about. If you haven't heard him, you should listen to him sometime. He's got a Scottish brogue, fantastic speaker. And he states it this way. And I'm paraphrasing from a sermon he delivered. We don't start from any position that is unaffected by sin. And in a sense, we know nothing of God other than what he chooses to reveal to us. In short, we are totally depraved. It doesn't mean we're utterly and completely sinful in all dimensions of our lives. What it means is that there is no dimension of our lives that is not affected by our willful rebellion against God. Let's look at that one more time. We don't start from any position that is unaffected by sin. And we, in a sense, know nothing of God other than what he chooses to reveal to us. In short, we are totally depraved. That doesn't mean we're utterly and completely sinful in all dimensions of our lives. What it means is that there is no dimension of our lives that is not affected by our willful rebellion against sin. So that kind of leads us to two questions. Question, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They were separated from God. Question, does Adam's sin affect us? The answer is simple, yes. We as children of Adam are born in a sinful condition. Like him, are separated from God because of that sin. And since we have that condition of separation, we must also have been shown his love, mercy, and forgiveness toward us. We must have been told, and we need to be told, We must have been instructed, and we still need to be instructed. God has, if you think about it, used others, and he'll continue to use others in our lives to bring us to a more full and complete understanding of him as we go along, even if we never really truly reach that complete understanding. Paul does this for us in Romans 10, verse 8. Paul's instructing the Christians in Rome, and also he's telling us to tell what's in your heart. What's in your heart? It should be that which is from God. 
Paul is urging the Roman Christians, like the undercover boss, to take their responsibility seriously. The problem being, Scripture testifies against us. It explains that we are oriented to going our own way. If we look at Ezekiel 33, verses 17 through 20, point us in the right direction. And it's kind of telling. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. There is no doubt they, as we, are in need of God's continual mercy. We need to have it revealed to us continually. We are, to put it bluntly, just like the disciples, regularly oblivious to our need for mercy and forgiveness of God in our lives. However, God's mercy is God's love in action in response to our sins. So to our second point, if we recognize the need for God's mercy and forgiveness, what we have in Christ is too valuable to keep to ourselves. So many times you hear stories about people that have experienced something fantastic, and they are so eager to tell you. We went and we did this, and it blew us away. It was so far beyond any experience we thought we'd get. It was way beyond our expectations. Even Brad, a few months ago, mentioned in a sermon about a family that enjoyed an extravagant meal at a fantastic restaurant. And because it was so wonderful, they needed to go and tell others, and so they did. They were passing on that experience. Well, the salvation of God is like that. It's truly a gift, and we are to enjoy that. It's not something that we earned, but it does mandate action. We do have to accept the gift. And also, on the flip side, what about bad experiences? When you see something that someone's experiencing, and if they continue on in that area or in that vein, they're going to experience something of dire consequences. Aren't Aren't we responsible for mentioning that to them as well? I wouldn't do that if I were you, kind of comes to mind. These statements were called to make identifying awareness of what God has done and what he will do in times to come and what he has been doing in our lives. So our third point with that understanding, what we have in Christ necessitates a response. Again, we are called to action. We have to share the joy or we have to sound the alarm. When we head back to Romans 10, verse 8, What does it specifically tell us? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. In God's word, we've been given our mission. We are to make disciples as we are going. Where you are, in your office, in your car, at the gas station, in the grocery store, on the phone, when you're having lunch in front of your family, Deuteronomy actually gives us a more point-by-point blow in chapter 11, stated well. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, And on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, 
as long as the heavens are above the earth. It's no small feat to try and continually display God in your life to others. Brad actually said it well last week. You'll have troubles in doing this. If you're continually displaying God, someone's going to say, must you bring God into everything? And actually, if those are troubles, it's something we probably should desire. To do this, we have to first spend time with the Father, either in his word or in prayer. So we are to call on the name of the Lord. How can we call on the name of the Lord? Well, we can call on his name because he first called on us. He first called us. We have his spirit within us. He's given us his word in scripture. And he desires to hear from us in prayer. We have access to God the Father through Jesus the Son. That's pretty cool. So the thing is, if you're feeling convicted of your sin whether it be a particular sin or multiple sins, that's actually a good thing. If you feel conviction, it's a blessing from God. He's calling to that to your awareness. So where do we go? We need to go from selfish to selfless. I had to slow that down or I won't be able to say it right. How do you get there? We never really do. I'm sorry, folks. After all, the story of us is about us, Right? Well, it really shouldn't be our story. And deep down as Christians, we know that, right? We just need to hear it repeated back to us. We need to have that drip, drip, drip. We need to understand that we should be making disciples by telling them what God has done in our lives. Brad mentioned it earlier when he was talking about Grace Connections class. Regularly, we have Connections class here at Grace Community Church And we invite you that don't know much about us or that may know quite a bit about us but still want to hear it again to come and sit and learn about our doctrine, learn about what we believe, learn about elder rule, learn about us as a church. And at the end of that, if you are desiring to join our membership and to join our body, you will get a call from a couple couple elders who will want to visit with you and sit down and discuss with you what God has been doing in your life and what God is doing in your life. And for some people, that's a daunting thing. When I was growing up, I feel like I was, I was born and raised in church. I really don't have a lot of memories from before going to church. I was a born and raised, deep-fried Southern Baptist. And went to church every Sunday, went to church every Wednesday. I remember going to funerals with my parents, thinking, I don't know why we're here, but my brother and I are swinging our feet in the pew and getting in trouble for running. And... All of this was going on, and and continually that was being brought to my awareness. But at the same time, it was important for me to have God in front of me. Brad said it earlier. Nobody gets it the first time. It took many, many years of me getting it. And when someone came to me and said, we'd love to hear your testimony, I always used to think, well, I don't have a Damascus Road testimony. I'm not going in this direction, and then all of a sudden God smites me and turns me around, and now I'm going in this direction. We're constantly oriented to going our own way, as Ezekiel told us. And so I'm basically like a pinball, getting knocked back and forth while God's trying to direct me in the same direction he wants me to go. Now, many of you have heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. And then you'll hear someone say, no, 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 that's not right. It's perfect practice makes perfect. The problem being, 
There's no such thing as perfect practice. Giving your testimony, witnessing to others, it's a hard thing. It's difficult to do. You have to step outside of your comfort zone. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. But it also depends on the relationship you have with the person you're speaking to. It depends on the circumstance. It's not necessarily an easy thing to witness to others. What we can do, though, is we can take comfort in knowing that making disciples is actually God's work. He may call us to plant. He may call us to water. You may not even know what you're doing. You may be so clueless that you're watering and planting and you don't even have a clue that you're doing it. God does, and he plans on using us. He's calling us for that purpose, but he will use your brokenness. He will use your weakness. He has used mine to do his will. And so we plant or we water as God has equipped us. So getting back to my statement earlier, Grace Community Church has a formal missions team. Before this morning, you may not have known that. I know you know we're involved in missions, but we actually have a formal team. And it has a structure, and it has a size, which is kind of small. It's important for us to meet regularly. It's important for us to be nimble, so to speak, so that when we have requests, we can respond to those as quickly as we can. And sometimes that, you know, slows things down when we have a large request and we have to find things, but we want to make sure that we're good stewards of what God has given us here at Grace Community Church in terms of the outreach that we do do. So it's necessary for us to have a small structure and number in order order to operate well. So in light of all that, and we talk about missions team, I have a question for you today. Who here today really is a part of Grace Community Church's missions team? We all are. Now before we close in prayer, at the end of each month, we always take a benevolence offering. And you may or may not know, but you know it is to help cover needs that come up either in the community or within the body. And right now we're fairly depleted. So I would ask you to give hilariously, as the Bible says, as the Lord leads. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be called. We thank you for loving us for sending us your Son, for giving us your Word, and for imparting your Spirit to us. There are so many ways that we feel inadequate to serve you, and yet you continually urge and beckon and equip us to do exactly what you'd have us do. Help us to recognize our need to see this world through your eyes. Help us to recognize the value of the relationships you place in front of us, to hear with your ears. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so busy in this world, and it seems that things continually speed up. There's an urgency and an immediacy for a response to just about everything we are confronted with. But we ask for your peace in responding to you in dealing with others in dealing with ourselves we thank you for loving us we thank you for forgiveness for when we fail you and when we sin against you and sin against others I ask that you bless us with this day and help us to glorify you in what we say and do as we depart from this place 
Help us to love you more and more with our whole heart, with our whole soul, and with our whole mind. We thank you for sending us your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration and comfort one another. Agree with one another and live in peace. And the God of love and of peace be with you all. Go in peace.